food allergy testing can be very confusing because shocker, food allergy can be very confusing. I'm super excited that in this episode of the podcast, my amazing co-host Pam and I talk about evidence-based and non-evidence-based food allergy testing. Let's go. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety, and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Hey, y'all. Before we get started with this episode, I want to thank you in advance for your grace regarding the not super fantastic sound quality you'll hear on my part on the first 15 or so minutes. If it really bugs you, fast forward to about minute 15, 16. And if it doesn't really bug you, then I think you're going to really like the content. So I will make sure I use the right microphone in the future. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Pam. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I guess I shouldn't say welcome since you're the co-host now. I think we're we're officially in in that now where you're the official co-host of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast. Yay. I'm excited. This this is super cool. Never thought that I would be a co-host of anything. So look at me go. Well, I am very happy (laughs) to have you because I think that our discussions are so much better for our listeners when they're actual discussions. And I'm sure sometimes it's nice when I not opine, but when I discuss different topics with myself, but it's just so much <laughs> funner to have discussions with, with a friend, of course, but also with somebody who has a very good understanding of food allergy from a mama's perspective. Um, given that your kiddo has food allergy, as you've talked about on the podcast. Yes. So I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I think it's really cool. I think it's funny when I look back at the very first podcast that we did together and I kind of giggle because I felt like we were trying to be very professional about it and and kind of keep our relationship secret in a way, not really, but you know, like we weren't, yeah, private. And and so I kind of giggle thinking back on it and listening to it because we sounded so professional speaking to each other and it's totally not how we are on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) I mean, clearly we keep it professional for the podcast, but I think listening as your podcast has evolved and our conversations have evolved, it's just been fun to, I mean, there's an over 20 year history here for you and for me. And um, I think it shows and and hopefully our viewers, isn't that we're old. And so I think hopefully our, the viewers hear that, that we have a genuine relationship and a genuine connection. And it just so happened that I had a child with a food allergy and it just so happened that you became an allergist um, shortly after. None of that was planned, but it was just the way the world worked. So it's really cool. It's really cool that we can kind of officially share that story now. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And today we are talking about food allergy testing. Yes. Which is kind of one of those things that is, it's kind of complicated a little bit, kind of just food allergy in general is complicated, but testing is really complicated because people will ask, well, how do you know? And 
the testing isn't perfect. The only way to know is to eat it as, as we'll hear in a minute, but the testing, the evidence-based testing that you'll talk about is what leads up to that. And so I think that that's important for people to realize that testing isn't perfect. And the only really surefire way of knowing that you have an allergy is to go to the allergist, go through all the testing, but eventually challenge your food, unless there's that history there like we had. Well, that's the podcast, folks. Pam just... (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's... That's absolutely the truth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I thought it was fun when before we started recording, you and I were spending a little bit of time Googling what comes up when you Google food allergy testing. And it's very interesting to see companies selling, marketing their tests as food allergy tests, food intolerance tests. And you and I were looking up a little bit of, well, well, what exactly is that blood sample or hair sample testing? Like what exact procedure are they doing on it? And sometimes we couldn't find what procedure they were doing on it. Um, But it, it was really interesting to see the different tests that are offered and the costs associated with them and how how people are supposed to interpret them themselves. Or my favorite is when they offer in interpretation <laughs> support Maybe one day you and I should just do some of these tests and yeah, yeah, and see what they say. Yeah, because so as you're listening to this podcast, our amazing listeners, I hope you're picking up on the frustration in my voice as an allergist that there are these tests that I feel are taking advantage of people who have legitimate food issues, whether it is a food allergy, meaning you eat it and you have high swelling, trouble breathing. That's a classic food allergy whether you have eosinophilic esophagitis, FPIs, food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome, there are many ways to be allergic to a food. And most of those ways, if not all of those, none of those ways, let me say it this way, none of those ways involve getting a diagnosis from testing you pay for on the internet. And it's very sad to me when I have patients bring, come see me for the first time. And they bring these reports that they get from, from taking a test online that the testing site has had beautiful marketing and has really talked about it. Some of them even talk about IgE and IgG4, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a minute. But when they bring in the testing, it's, it's really not evidence-based testing. The procedure they're doing on the blood or on the hair, there's no hair allergy testing, not right <laughs> now. So yeah, Pam, what, what are kind of your thoughts on that? And then we're going to get into what, what is evidence-based allergy testing. Well, as a person who lives with food allergy and other types of allergy, I'm allergic to cats, which is a bummer because I love cats, but they love you. They do. We have so many outside, which is you take you know, great care of them. Oh, thanks. So as a person who already has to sort of alter their way of eating, how we approach food, it's not anything that I would ever wish on anyone. Clearly for us, it's a scary situation. We're not just intolerant, we're allergic. And so EpiPen is involved, hive swelling, closing of the throat situation is happening there. I would never want anyone to 
limit their food based on something they got off the internet, right? Like, I feel like it's already so hard to limit food. Why would you do it if it's not evidence-based? And then my other concern about this is that on the site, some of these say, this isn't a medical diagnosis, follow up with your doctor as you've had patients do with you. But what about those people who don't? Mm-hmm. And what if they truly have an allergy and they haven't followed up with a doctor? They are walking around saying, oh, I'm allergic to corn and they don't have an EpiPen. And then they're not given that education from an allergist right. to say, this is how you avoid it. You don't just not eat corn on the cob. You have to stay away from all the corns. Or what if they're walking around not eating anything with corn and limiting their life for no reason. And that's the more more common issue. Right. And I think that's where the danger comes in. If these become evidence-based and it makes it easier for a doctor to get a diagnosis or for people to get information, then let's talk about it. But I think the way that they seem to be marketed right now just kind of seems a little scary, not because they're harming you physically, but they could if you don't take that information and then go get evidence-based information. Right. It's shipping you with misinformation. Right, right. Like it shouldn't be your diagnosis. And I don't know, like I wouldn't, I don't know. I, I just think of other things. If I ever think that there's something that I have, I mean, we all Google, we're all Google doctors, you know, but I always take that information and I think, okay, well, if this is something I think I have, where do I need to go? Well, the doctor, right? Like, but how many people actually do do that? How many people will actually take one of these intolerance tests and, and go see a doctor? So I think we should order one and do it Oh gosh. and report which, back. Which does mean we have to give our money to these groups. Oh, that's true. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe in 2021 when things are hopefully back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe if any of our listeners, if we haven't completely offended and you haven't shut off the podcast now because you're one of those people who went online and and got one of these tests. um, Sorry, we're just here to help. (laughs) We really are. But if if you haven't completely turned off this episode and you are somebody who has done one of those tests, reach out to us. We would love to talk with you about your experience. That brings us to (laughs) what in the world is evidence-based food allergy testing. And there's really three types of evidence-based food allergy testing. And why Pam and I wanted to have this, this podcast episode, because I already did an episode about the five myths of food allergy testing. But, and I guess, why don't we go through those five myths really quick? Number five, allergy blood testing is better than allergy skin testing. Number four, IgG testing is just as good as IgE testing for allergies. Number three. Allergy testing can only be done in certain age groups. Number two, allergy testing should be done to determine the cause of eczema in babies. And number one, allergy testing is 100% accurate for all allergies. So all of that, all of those were myths. And definitely check out the info blog on those top five myths, foodallergyandyourkiddo.com. But we really wanted to dive into this because it breaks my heart when I hear somebody tell me little Johnny had a reaction to egg and then we went to the allergist or we went to fill in the blank doctor and did blood testing or skin testing. And then we were told we're allergic to all these other foods too. Right. Without them having what's called an ingestion challenge. Right. 
So Pam, yeah, I I wanted to ask your sort of pathway. I know we talked about it in one of those first episodes, but your first pathway of when you had, when your kiddo had skin and blood testing, which Mm -hmm. skin and blood testing are two of the three types of allergy testing. There's skin testing, blood testing, and then the gold standard for diagnosis is an ingestion challenge. And that's actually where you're in the doctor's office eating a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more of the potential allergen to determine whether or not you tolerate the food or you have an allergic reaction. These are the three types of allergy testing specifically for anaphylactic allergy. When we're talking about those less common, but still very considerable food allergies like eosinophilic esophagitis, which is the food allergy that causes lots of inflammation in your esophagus, and FPIs or food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome, we don't have testing for those. So those types of food allergies don't have any testing. So they certainly shouldn't be having this type of testing done through the internet because there's there's no evidence-based testing for those types of food allergies. It, the way you get the diagnosis is is other other ways. It's not a blood test, it's not a skin test. And if any of you think, if any of my listeners, our listeners out there think that your kiddo might have that, or you might have that, then I definitely, definitely want you to go see an allergist. So what we're going to talk about today is really just the anaphylactic food allergy testing and what is and is not evidence-based. So Pam, before I went on that (laughs) dissertation, (laughs) and I opened this podcast saying I like us to have conversation and here I am, chat, chat, chat. So tell us your experience with sort of the timeline of testing and do you wish y'all had done a challenge sooner or, or, or all of those things? Mm-hmm. Yes to all the things. So basically my daughter had her first reaction at two. We fed her peanut butter and she physically reacted. So we knew without any with other hives. testing. Red rays with hives. And her face popped yeah. up. Yes. Eyes those are symptoms, watering. Those are symptoms of an IgE-mediated or a classic anaphylactic food allergy. Right. So that was at age two. So at age three, for whatever reason, is when we finally saw the allergist. So at age three, we took her, we let them know her history of having this reaction minutes after eating the peanut butter, and he did skin testing. At that point, he tested for peanuts along with all the other nuts. He may have tested for other things, but tree nuts. So we tested for those and she... Can I interrupt you? Sure. May I interrupt you? Testing for tree nuts when you're concerned about peanut allergy does have some evidence because what we know is that some kiddos who have a peanut allergy may also have a tree nut allergy and kiddos with a tree nut allergy may also have a peanut allergy. That is... That is very debatable amongst food allergists. So you're going to get a, okay. a lot, lots of lots of discussion amongst general allergists, but definitely people who focus on food allergy. Some are all about if you're allergic to peanut, let's test the tree nut. Some are all about no way, it, it, they're going to be fine. And I think some of that difference of opinions comes from a lack of research. So it makes sense to consider testing for tree nut allergy if you have a peanut allergy because evidence so far in the world of food allergy research does tell us that some kids who are allergic to tree nuts will also be allergic to peanuts and vice versa. 
There is discussion amongst allergists, especially food allergists about this. Some say absolutely do testing because of that potential increased risk. Some say no way, there's not enough increased risk to do the testing. Just get the tree nuts in the diet. There's a low likelihood of them having a reaction. So there's disagreement amongst food allergists. So let me allow you to get back to your story of you were tested or your kiddo was tested for tree nuts as well as peanut because they had a reaction to peanut a year prior. Yes. And so we just did skin testing. Skin test came back, showed that she was reactive to the peanut little poke that she got and the tree nuts were all negative. But that particular allergist told us to clearly avoid peanut, but because um, of that prior history and because the little wheel of her reaction during the skin test was so large to peanut to, to peanut to stay away from all other tree nuts. That's just what he said. We took it and we went with it. Didn't question it. So then, and listeners definitely let us know if you like this format of me constantly interrupting Pam <laughs> to uh, give notes on on her story. Um, I think that's great. Okay, thank you. Because my mama taught me not to interrupt people. Um, <laughs> you know, I interrupt my husband all the time and he's never annoyed about that. No. <laughs> so thank you for allowing me to to interrupt. We have to keep in, in context that this experience that Pam had was 10... 10 years, years ago. ago. 10 years yes. ago. And there's been tremendous change in food allergy from 10 years ago. So if she were taking her daughter to see an allergist now. That allergist, especially if they practice or specialize in food allergy, might not and probably would not tell um, her to avoid tree nuts because the tree nut testing was was negative. And let me stop there. So I am now like making a note on my notes on your story, Pam. So (laughs) skin prick testing, just like blood testing, These two types of allergy testing, they test for allergic antibodies. We've heard a lot about antibodies in the news lately with coronavirus. There are different types of antibodies. And I'm actually going to include a link to a really great video on allergic antibodies because allergic antibodies, they're called IgE antibodies. They work differently than IgG antibodies. IgG antibodies are those antibodies that we're hearing all about with the coronavirus and the vaccine and all of that stuff. So these IgE antibodies, when they, um, their type of surveillance of our immune system, and when they see what they're looking for, they activate the immune system to have an allergic response. Now, does that mean that everybody who has IgE or allergic antibodies to say peanut, does that mean that they're all allergic to peanut? No. That's why people who have positive skin tests and or positive blood tests to, let's say peanut, they're not all allergic to peanut. That is because Mm -hmm. there is a whole other arm of the immune system called the tolerance arm of the immune system that we don't have good testing for right now. And allergy, the, the opposite of allergy is really tolerance. So it's kind of a a balance. If your immune system does not have a lot of tolerance to a food, then 
it seems more that you're left with more allergy. If you if you have positive skin tests, positive blood tests, that means you're at risk for being allergic. But it's not until you do that third test, which is the ingestion challenge, which we'll get to with Pam's story in a minute, that determines whether or not you're actually allergic. So when you have skin testing or blood testing, that doesn't tell you whether or not you're allergic. It tells you whether or not you're at risk of being allergic. And that's why it's so important if you're doing any sort of testing, you're doing it with a physician who knows how to interpret the testing and guide you to the next step, which is going to be an ingestion challenge or the physician based on your history might say, it's incredibly likely that you're allergic. So I don't recommend an ingestion challenge right now. And typically Mm -hmm. that history includes having a recent reaction, meaning like you ate peanut, you went to see the doctor a week later, they did some testing. So you've had a positive challenge because you did it on your own by just simply eating peanut. Um, That's exactly right. So what happened to you guys is ate the food, you had symptoms consistent with an IgE anaphylactic reaction, and then you had testing that further supported the diagnosis. But it wasn't that the testing made the diagnosis. It supported the diagnosis. It was really that clinical history that made the diagnosis. Exactly. And so because of that, we didn't do a food challenge for peanuts at that point. Her, we did. So after we did the skin testing, when she was five, we did um, blood work. Her blood levels for peanut were sky high. I mean, they were in the hundreds, I think. And at that point, he said, we'll check her blood again in two years. And, but right now we don't recommend a food challenge for this. We've done this again twice. Like we, we've done this again with a completely different allergist in recent years with a food specialist allergy, with a food allergy specialist. And so that experience has been different as well. So when my daughter was nine, which was two years ago, we thought, and I've said this before, we, she had what we thought was an allergic reaction to almonds. Turned out it was not that. It was actually, unfortunately, a panic attack after eating something with almonds but it manifested itself very similar to an allergic reaction. So we epi went to the hospital, did all the things. So later that summer, we took her because we had to be put on a waiting list to a food Can allergist. Can I camp on that a- for a second? I keep interrupting sure. you, but, but there's, <laughs> there's so much here. It is completely legitimate when you think you've been exposed to your allergen to have shortness of breath, to have an increased heart rate, to have a change in what your skin looks like. You can get red and flushed, which is not hives, but it's still a change in your skin. And some people actually start to feel like that trouble breathing, like, oh, is something going on in their throat? So those symptoms can be consistent with allergy an allergic reaction specifically. They can also be in what happened in, in your daughter's case from what you're saying is a manifestation of anxiety. And that Mm -hmm. is completely reasonable. It's completely reasonable because if you've had a bad reaction to something, if you've had, God forbid, an an anaphylactic reaction to something, and you think that your body's about to experience that again, it makes complete sense that that you're freaking out for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, Which is why I was so happy that you guys were able to get plugged in and have a a different 
experience. And again, I, w- I want to put this in perspective of 10 years ago was a different time when it comes right, to food exactly. allergy. We know so much more information, but knowing what you're allergic to and what you're not allergic to is so important so that you're not unnecessarily avoiding things. And then having that anxiety that can come along with thinking that you ingested something to which you're allergic, but actually you end up not really being allergic to it. But if you had had a more thorough evaluation, then you would have known that. Hi there, this is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right. We are now offering food allergy office hours for parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. Well, and I have to say too, just to kind of make this point clear, we love our local allergist. He is amazing. And as the years have gone by, he has done more and more research on food allergy because he has seen Mm -hmm. it more and more in his practice. And we've even had this discussion about maybe what we did then would not necessarily be what he recommends now, you know, but, right. you know, but we can support everything. The evidence was, has changed. It's the changed because, changed you know, when I was pregnant, exactly. When I was pregnant, we, the first time we were told don't feed them until they're two. When I was pregnant, the second time, two years later, we were told introduce peanuts earlier. And so it just, mm-hmm. things are constantly ever changing. So when I tell this story, I'm certainly not putting any blame or anything on my first allergy. Just, he is still our current allergist that we go to on a yearly basis, but we do have this other specialist who mm-hmm. we went to really with his help as well. You know, he kind of sent us over there and said, Hey, look, she, this is what she does every day. So I think you should go see her and get some answers basically. And so what we and did, you know how we were talking offline about putting foot in mouth. <laughs> yeah. Foot in mouth disease. <laughs> I shouldn't have used the word thorough. I should use the term. If we could get in the DeLorean and be like share. And if I could turn back time, go back right. and use today's research in yesterday's appointment, right. things could be different because no, I'm in no way trying to Monday morning quarterback your allergist. Oh, no, not at all. Who's no. done very well by you guys. Thank you. No, not at all. But I just kind of wanted to put that there. So we went to the second allergist um, who we also loved and she basically started from scratch. We told her our history. Clearly, again, we had that reaction ingesting the peanuts. Um, she also had had some sort of a few reactions where she was touched with kind of peanut protein. And so she kind of had hives and, and redness and areas, but not where we needed to use an EpiPen. And she redid the skin testing for peanuts and tree nuts. Peanuts was positive, tree nuts were negative. So that same day, we also did very specific blood work um, where mm-hmm. we got very specific numbers on the peanut um, component, the component testing. Yes, we did mm-hmm. component testing for peanuts. And then we te- blood tested all of the other nuts, tree nuts. So once we got our 
complete report, clearly still with skin testing, blood work, and her previous reaction, still very allergic to peanuts. What's once again told, we do not recommend doing an in-clinic challenge for peanuts because from everything that we have seen, her levels are very high. She is very allergic. We don't need to see this again. We don't need to put her through that. And for the very first time, we were told based on the blood work for all of this stuff, the tree nuts, we need to do an in-clinic challenge, especially for almonds, which is what we thought she may have had an allergic reaction to. You've mentioned to me before that her blood work on all of the tree nuts was negative, meaning less than 0.35, except almond, which was 0.35, which is barely, barely a bit positive. But that's why you do the challenge to determine is this blood work positive for sensitization, meaning she just happens to have a little bit of allergic antibody to almond, or does this actually suggest that she has food allergy, specifically an almond allergy? So what we did is that we basically, we went back and we in clinic tested almonds. So she started with little tiny bitty amount and every 20 minutes she got a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until we ate, she ate a full serving size of almonds and she passed with flying colors. And so at that point, she had a negative challenge. She had a negative challenge. Yes. Because we are working on that terminology. Because yeah, that's kind of confusing. pass or fail a test based on whether or not you put in the work beforehand. You don't pass or fail <laughs> an ingestion challenge because you didn't try hard enough. It's exactly it's not your true. fault. So she it's not her negatively fault. passed. <laughs> <laughs> she had a negative challenge, meaning there was no reaction. Challenge. She had a negative challenge to the almonds. And so by from there, what we did, the allergist, based on all of her other tree nut blood work, recommended that we, one, needed to incorporate almonds into her daily life. And two, we could challenge all of the other tree nuts at home. Now, let me just say this. She recommended it. My best friend is a food allergist. And my husband is in the medical field. (laughs) So I felt comfortable doing that at home because I felt like I had really good backup and resources to do it at home. And we followed the same protocol. We did it in very small doses. Every 20 minutes, we watched her, no activity for two hours after. So it was kind of like a whole three to four hour process, even at home. So you followed your doctor's recommendations? Yes. Yes. So I think... Pam, what you're trying to say is don't do something if your doctor doesn't recommend doing it. Exactly. Don't go home and just start eating nuts just because you feel like you can. (laughs) So I think what we, to start to wrap up, I think what we've talked about today are non-evidence-based food allergy. I'm doing air quotes. um, Food (laughs) allergy tests. Basically rule of thumb, if you find it online, don't do it. It's a waste of money. Go buy yourself some shoes instead. And, and then, if you have done it, give us a, not give us a call, but send us an email and yeah. let us know your experience yeah. with it. Yeah. Go to the info blog, foodallergyinyourkiddo.com and, um, and send us a note. And then we talked about the three types of evidence-based food allergy testing, two types, the skin prick testing and the blood testing that help sort of risk stratify the likelihood of being allergic. And then the third test, which is the gold standard in diagnosis, which is that ingestion challenge. So when your doc is deciding whether or not he or she thinks you're allergic, 
they're taking into account the clinical history. So what you or your kiddo has reacted to in the past, what they haven't reacted to in the past, because there can be some cross-reactivity with tree nuts, which we can, we can have a whole nother show about that. So clinical history, skin prick testing results, and or blood testing results, those three things help us restratify a kiddo, whether or not they are allergic. And then it's really that ingestion challenge that that confirms, that puts the stamp on, yes, you're allergic or no, you're not allergic. You're tolerant of this food. Pam also mentioned something about now her daughter can have tree nuts, but they don't eat them a whole lot. That's different in a kid, an older kiddo and in adults than in these younger babies, because in a younger kiddo who has risks of food allergy, like they have eczema, they have egg allergy, if they're not allergic to peanut and you've done the evaluation with your doctor and you're not allergic to peanut, don't be surprised if your doctor is saying, okay, we need to keep peanut Mm -hmm. protein in your baby's diet so that the baby's immune system learns to be okay with peanut because your baby's immune system is still developing. The immune system in early childhood is still developing, is still getting used to things, figuring out who it wants to be as an immune system, as opposed to the immune system of older kids and adults where the immune system is a little bit more set in, especially when we're talking about food allergy. Does that mean that older kids and and adults can't develop food allergies? No, they absolutely can. But we know that in early childhood is when we can still more easily change the immune system, kind of make it do what we want it to do, which is tolerate foods. And that's why you might get different recommendations on keeping foods in the diet, a little stronger recommendations than when kiddos are a little bit older. Pam, I think this has been a great episode. I am so glad that you are the co-host of the Food Allergy in Your Kiddo podcast. And let's do it again next week, shall we? We shall, we shall. All right, guys, I hope that y'all enjoyed this podcast. I enjoyed speaking about my experience with food allergy testing 10 years ago and food allergy testing more recently. I hope that the discussion has given you guys a lot to think about. But remember to go to the info blog at foodallergyandyourkiddo.com to learn more about what we had to say, where you can actually go in there and read it, because there you will get even more information from Dr. Hoyt. But remember, I am an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what you learned today, about what you heard Pam and me talk about, about what you read on the info blog so that you can be as informed as possible when you are taking care of that sweet pea of yours. So as we close, we just want to say, God bless you and God bless your family. Thanks for listening to this episode of Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with food allergist, Dr. Alice Hoyt. For more information on navigating the world of food allergy, visit www.foodallergyandyourkiddo.com and follow Dr. Hoyt on Twitter at Dr. Alice Hoyt. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Let's take the anxiety and confusion out of food allergy.